Good morning, welcome to Convocation. My name is Becky Horse, I'm the Convocation Coordinator. I really enjoyed the birds singing as I walked to the campus this morning. Maybe in a day or two, all of that dirty old snow will be gone. Thank you for coming out. I have two announcements before I introduce our speaker. The first is that some of you may have noticed in the PowerPoint slides there were some local news and national news and world news. That's courtesy of Student Senate. They think that we all need to get out of our bubble a little bit more, so they asked me to, to run those slides. Second announcement is that there will be a bonus convo here on Wednesday. It's the Nicaragua SST unit from last summer. Here in this space, Wednesday, bonus convo at this time. This morning's speaker will speak on college students and money, doing your future a favor. This is a topic that we've wanted to address in Convo for quite some time, and finally we were able to mesh our schedule with the schedule of Burl Jancy, who is a stewardship edu educator for an organization called Everance. Everance is an organization that helps Christians help each other financially when they're in trouble, and it also helps Christians use money well, well, wisely. That's really what stewardship is all about. So let's give our attention to Burl Chancy. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. I enjoy getting out in various parts of the church and talking to different age groups. Uh, my work takes me into congregations. It takes me into conferences, settings where I can talk with pastor and steward leaders around the church. But one of the areas that I'm most interested in going to are colleges and seminaries because you're at a particular stage of life where you're making really important choices, lifestyle choices, economic choices, that are important now but are going to have dramatic impacts on your future. And I know here at Goshen College you do a fair bit of that. I'm impressed that there is actually a personal finance class. A lot of the colleges that I get to don't offer those kinds of things. And in the gen ed program, particularly for first years, how many first year students out there? Okay, I know most of you are required to be here, but thank you anyhow. Uh, you sat in on a session on Friday with Kent Hartzler, and you'll notice our titles are a little similar, though our material will be different. But this is a critical time for you to be thinking about personal finances and how it connects with your understanding of faith and discipleship. What it means in, in how we bring our values to bear on decisions that we make. I have a two and a half minute video that I'd like to show which will kind of just provide a big picture on this whole subject of stewardship, which in and of itself is not all that exciting a topic, I understand. But you know it impacts everything that we do everything that we are. Life is a gift is one of the messages, and the second is we've been blessed in order to be a blessing. Uh, I would advise you not to blink because it goes very fast. Uh, everything is scrolled on the screen in terms of the words that need to be communicated. Very little is spoken until the very end. Life is a gift.
Life is a gift, and we've been blessed in order to be a blessing. Now, arguably, we are living in the most affluent nation ever to have existed in the history of the world. And some of us celebrate that and embrace that, and others of us are very uncomfortable with that reality and aren't quite sure what to do with it. But here we are, nonetheless. We have access to tremendous resources as North Americans. So what, what is our responsibility with that? If we come at this from a Christian perspective, what does that mean to be living in the most affluent nation ever to exist in, and to have the resources at our access? One of the definitions of wealth that I've come across, which I really like, is it's not so much our savings account, it's not so much our assets or our real estate ownings, but wealth has to do with choices and opportunities. Choices and opportunities. And we have multitude opportunities and choices, even at your stage of life. That represents something that most people in the world can only imagine, who are trying to simply survive, who are just trying to get by. What does it mean to be living within this world, within this nation, within this context as North American Christians? One of my favorite definitions of stewardship is that stewardship is organizing your life in such a way so God can give you away. Now, to be organized means to be intentional. Some of us maybe are more by nature organized. Others of us find it a little bit more challenging and difficult. But if we're going to do anything important, if we're going to get anywhere in life, there has to be a certain amount of intentionality, a certain amount of planning. You're here in college in part because there was planning going on by your parents and by yourself. You had some thought. You had some decisions to make. It didn't just happen one day where you showed up here. When we think about stewardship, and I know the video primarily focuses on generosity, which is what we usually talk about in the life of the church when we're talking about money. And my contention when I get out and talk with pastors is, you know what? It's fine to be talking about money, but it's really congregational malpractice if that's the only subject we talk about in terms of generosity. Because a lot of our people would love to do more than what they do, but they have not managed the 90% well enough in order to be generous with whatever might remain. So I'm not going to focus so much on generosity, but I am going to say that we are called to be generous people. But I want to talk more about the 90%. What are we doing with what we keep? And how are we managing it in such a way that cares for our needs, that allows us to be responsible, not abusive, so that we can be more generous? Organizing your life in such a way so God can give you away requires intentionality. We are born to be consumers. From day one, from hour one, we are consuming time, energy, food. We are the center of the universe. And we remind our parents on a regular basis, hour by hour, that we are the center of the universe. We are called to grow beyond that baby infant stage of self-absorption and consumption, lest we get stuck in this whole idea of being the center of the universe for the rest of our lives. And that's what being a steward is all about recognizing that we've been blessed to be a blessing. Part of maturity 
is managing what we have, being intentional so that we can get our eyes off ourselves and be meaningfully involved with other people, with our money, with our time, with relationships, and so on. Okay, so much for big picture. I'd like to just identify a few things from your particular demographic that I think are important to know, maybe sobering to know. And then I want to talk about a few practical ideas that I think ought to be on your consciousness as you go through college and even more so once you graduate and get into uh, the work world and debt payments and all that kind of good stuff. About 40% of 25 to 35 year olds are carrying student loans, 40%. The age of 25 to 35, that particular demographic, is also the demographic that is the most growing in personal bankruptcy. About seven million Americans with student loans are currently in default. That means they're not making student loan payments. Did you know that if you declare personal bankruptcy that will discharge any mortgage loans you might have, any car loans you might have, any credit card debt you might have, bankruptcy does not discharge student loans. You take these into the rest of your life. There's no way of avoiding it unless the government comes up with some plan that will help folks that are really in deep trouble, you're stuck with this. I work with some people from Lutheran Social Services out of Duluth, Minnesota, that we have a partnership with at Everance that specifically help folks with debt management issues. They're working with clients right now who are retiring and are having their Social Security checks garnished because of student loans. Some of them are because of their own student loans. Maybe they got into college and graduate programs late in life and they're still carrying them out. But a lot of them are people like your parents who have taken on parental loans for their kids going to college. And that's something we don't often talk about. We talk about student loans, we don't talk about parental loans and what that means for their life. I told you this would be a little sobering. The news will get a little better sooner than later. The average student debt is right around $29,000. That means about a third of you will graduate with no debt. About a third of you will graduate around that average of 30,000 and about another third of you will be carrying debt beyond that amount, upwards to $50,000, $70,000 after college. And then some folks in all these categories goes on for graduate programs, which in most cases require additional student loans. Let me just give you an example. Most student loans stretch out for 10 years. If you have federal student loans, which come in at about 3.4%, your average monthly payment will be about $295 for 10 years at 3.4%. If you have Stafford loans or similar types of things that come through your financial aid plan, that's at about 6.8%. Over 10 years, a $30,000 debt will mean that you have to pay about $345 per month. And if you have a private student loan, which is often around 7.9%, your monthly payment will be around $362. And some of you are carrying more than that, maybe $40,000, $50,000. At $50,000, that payment's about $500 per month for 10 years. 
and so on. The reason I say this will now take me to the basic money management plan that I recommend college students be thinking about. At this stage of the game, it's important that you know, just like you know how much is in your savings account, just like you know how much is in your checking account, that you know how much student debt you're carrying. If you're a first year student, do you know how much debt you've incurred over this year? Do you know this? Or is it something that your parents are taking care of and it's out of sight, out of mind? Part of becoming financially astute, being a good steward, is knowing not only what your savings and checking, but know what your debt responsibility is. First year, second year, third year, fourth year. Know as you go where you are. One rule of thumb is you shouldn't graduate with more debt than what your annual salary will be in your discipline of choice. Now I say that specifically because not all of you when you graduate are gonna get into your discipline of choice. We know that a lot of folks are needing to take part-time jobs or full-time work in areas that aren't according to their discipline simply because the work's not there. So if you're going into social work, $22,000, $23,000 a year starting probably, Rule of thumb, you shouldn't take out four years of loans. That's more than that. If you do, it's going to create greater burdens down the road. If you're going to be a teacher, maybe thirty-three dollars to $37,000 for a first-year starter, student loans shouldn't exceed that total. That's just one rule of thumb. Most folks don't hear that kind of information, but they should. You ought to be aware of the financial impact for your future. It's part of doing your future a favor. So monitor debt. Give your parents a call. If you don't know, if you don't manage that, if you're not part of that conversation, know what your financial responsibilities are. Second thing is, has to do with credit cards. I'll tell you a story, then I'm gonna ask you for those who are free to let me know how many of you have credit cards. When our daughters turned 16 years of age, we took them down to the local credit union and we got them both credit cards in their name. And the reason we did that is because we wanted them to start building up a credit score. The second reason we did that is because I wanted to place the fear of debt in their heart. Okay. How many of you have credit cards? So you know I'm not against credit cards. Okay, more of you should have credit cards. Why? Because you need to learn how to use plastic now so that when you get into later stages of life, that's something that's incorporated as part of your financial engagement with the world. Now some folks say, well I got a debit card, isn't that good? That's all right, it's a safe way to have plastic, not to carry a lot of cash around, but you know what, it does nothing for building up a credit score. And I'll again share with you in a moment why that's important. We wanted to monitor our daughters on using a credit card because we know that a lot of folks don't get any training. Lots of times parents don't want their children want their teenagers 
to have a credit card because they themselves have not monitored it well. I don't know what your situation is. Or they'll give their young adult a credit card in their name. They might have a family card. They're all in mom and dad's name. That's fine in terms of training and teaching you how to do it, but it does nothing for you personally in terms of building up your own credit score, a history of your ability to manage loans and debt. So at 16 years of age, we took them down, got them a credit card. They started buying car uh, gas and all that. If they go to the grocery store for us, they put it on their credit card. We'd reimburse them for stuff that was our responsibility, and they would pay from uh, their own savings and checking for parts of the credit card that had to do with their own personal consumer needs. The biggest thing about credit cards is you never carry a balance over from one month to the next. It's extremely expensive borrowing practice to carry a balance over. A card could start at 12 or 15%. You miss one payment. It could go to 25, 30, 35% at the discretion of the bank or the credit union. Extremely expensive. If you have a credit card, if you've got a balance, get rid of the credit card. This is not a way to use a credit card. A lot of Americans do, and a lot of Americans have gotten in trouble as a result, because it's very, very expensive. As I was sharing with you the litany of interest rates on credit cards, or on student loans, I said 3.4%, which is typical for a federal loan, or 6.8 for a Stafford, 6.9, 7.9 for a private loan. That's far below what credit cards charge. And credit cards charge that much because you've got no collateral backing up repayment except for your promise to do so. When you get a car, you might pay 4 or 5% because there's collateral. They'll take the car away if you don't pay for it. If you buy a house, you might get a house right now on a mortgage of 4 or 5%. Because if you don't pay for it, they're going to take the house back. With credit card, there's no collateral. It's your word that you're going to pay the bank back. And your word will cost you at least 15% and more if you miss payments. This is basic information that you should know. Now, why is a credit score important? One of the most important things right now for you all is that employers are starting to check out the credit scores of potential employees on a regular basis. Now, why do they do this? because they want to get a sense of how good of a manager you are with your own resources. If you're in a business major and you're going to be hired to oversee the assets of one part of a company of a million dollars, they want to make sure, first of all, that you can manage your own life if you're going to be managing part of the company's assets. Or if you're carrying significant debt on credit cards, student loans, whatever, Will being around assets from the company be a temptation to you? To abuse? To steal? Our financial history carries with it important facts that employers are looking at. The other benefit of having a good credit score is that it lowers interest rates. If you would go out and buy a car, you can get a cheaper rate because you're more dependable. 
It's less risk on the person loaning you the money. It also gives you negotiating power. If you want to go out and put a down payment on a, an apartment, and you state, oh, by the way, I've got a 780-point credit score. That looks really good. Oh, you're less of a risk. There's benefits to having a good credit score. One of the things I just learned in the last year, I went and we review our house insurance every five years, our car insurance to make sure we've got the best package, to make sure that we're insuring our house at the appraised level and everything's staying current. Our agent that looked at the paperwork looked at how much our house is valued at, at how much premium we're paying in terms of insurance, and she looked at me and said, wow, you must have a really good credit score. Credit score? Yeah. The amount of insurance that you pay on your house is lower if you are a good credit risk. I never knew that. And the benefits are only going to be becoming more and more important on this kind of thing as more and more people get into trouble. Another statistic that's uh, kind of sobering is that back in 2008 when we had that major economic crisis, most of you were probably in high school at that point, the Federal Reserve of the U.S. government said that 40% of Americans were living at 110% of their income. What's the problem with that? How is it possible to live at 110% of your income? You're borrowing money. You're spending more money than you're earning. And 40% of Americans, according to the Federal Reserve, were doing this. Well, during that financial collapse, a lot of people started to rein in their spending habits. How they handled that 90, 95, 98%. Probably 100% for a lot of those folks. If you're living at that level, you don't have much to save, you don't have much to give away. And we did see a decrease in the number of people that were spending more than they were earning. But recent statistics have shown that people are back to their old practices, and that's not a sustainable way to live. That's how we get into trouble. And that's why it's important for you to begin paying attention to the habits that you want to instill in your own life. There's a book that I highly recommend that um, some pastors have purchased in bulk and they give out to high school and college students. It's called Three Simple Rules. It's written by a man named Theo Bors. He was a financial planner. He's Lutheran by uh, religious background. And he was looking around his congregation and he said, you know what? A lot of the people in the church don't know how to manage resources. And we need to be talking about the 90%, helping people become better stewards if we expect them to be more generous and experience the joy of generosity. And so he said, there's three basic rules. If you follow these, it will keep you out of trouble. Guaranteed. And he's right. The three simple rules are, don't spend more than you earn. Don't be part of the 40% of Americans that spend 110% of their income. That's unsustainable. So don't spend more than you earn. The second rule is save now and buy later. Start putting money aside for future needs that you're going to have. Be organized. Be intentional. And this is something that people in your parents' age group need to be hearing as much as you do. Because you're going to be placed in situations in the next few years where you're going to have to make decisions about 
spending now on credit, on layaway, or saving up, delaying gratification until you can purchase something in cash. The third rule is no debt, K-N-O-W. Know the difference between what we would call good debt and bad debts, like good cholesterol and bad cholesterol. I take a Zocor tablet every day because I've got too much bad cholesterol. Bad cholesterol, bad debt, is consumer debt. It's what you usually buy with a credit card. You go out and buy pizza, you consume it. You put gas in the tank, you consume it. It is gone. It will not appreciate in value. You buy a car, you buy clothing. It's gone. It depreciates in value as soon as you drive that car off the lot or put the garment on. Make sense? Bad debt. It's okay to buy with cash if you got the cash, but don't go in debt with that kind of stuff. Good debt typically is a college education. So when I share those statistics, do I want to scare you? Yes, I do. Fear can be a good motivator to do well, to do better, make you aware, educate you, inform you. But this is, historically speaking, a very good way for you to invest in your future. The second level of good debt is a mortgage. Traditionally, houses have appreciated, gone up in value. And so, that's a good way to be spending money. But those are about the only two areas that you can really feel okay about in terms of going into debt. None of us would want to go in debt, but most of us don't have the means by which we can do either without some level of debt. So those are acceptable forms. So no debt, there's differences between credit card use, carrying balances over, which is bad, and if that's your situation, get out of it, cut up your card, concentrate on paying that debt down. Establish good habits now, or you're going to be practicing those habits once you leave here and create larger problems. The final point I want to make is a simple formula. And most of us hate the idea of doing budgets. I know I do. My wife and I, when we first got married, established a budget, established understandings of how we were going to spend and how we were going to save and how we were going to give away. By the way, there's three things you can do with money. You can share it, you can save it, and you can spend it. And you should be doing all three. You should have a balanced approach to life. Because I don't think any of us wants to become baby-like once we're at this stage. We want to have a holistic approach. We want to be generous. We want to be prudent in terms of thinking about our future, short-term and long-term needs. We want to establish an emergency fund where there's money available for the unexpected so we don't have to use a credit card and go into debt when those unexpected things take place. And we also want to have an appropriate amount to spend on. We want to live below our means rather than above our means. We want to be part of the 60% that aren't spending more than what we're earning. So here's the formula. And this is kind of a baseline formula, 10-10-80. Can you remember that? 10-10-80. Uh, give 10% away. Start with a first fruit concept, which is throughout Scripture. Save 10% because it's prudent to be putting aside for future car, future down payments on an apartment, uh, future retirement planning even. And then spending. Live 
on what remains. Too many people start with the spending, then they wait till the end of the month and see what's left over for saving and, sh and sharing. Okay, well, most people say if they haven't had any kind of a budget or plan or formula in place that that's unrealistic. I can't, I can't give away 10%, I can't save 10%. My expenses are way too high based on my lifestyle choices to live on only the 80. Okay, adjust the formula for your own specific situation. Five, five, 90. Give 5%, save 5%, live on the 90. You know, that would be great, but I can't do that. I'm in college right now. I can't give away 5%. I'm not making any money. I might have a job off campus or some, some, some type of part-time work on campus. Okay, adjust the formula. One, one, 98. The important thing right now is to establish practices, establish good habits that you can take with you into your future. Because you know what? It's not going to get any easier once you are making an income because you're going to have other responsibilities at that time that you don't have now. If you take in $200 a month because of part-time work, what would it mean to give just 1% of that. Give $2 away. Sounds manageable, doesn't it? What would it mean to, to put a little bit away in a savings account? Just for the practice, just for the discipline, and then living on the rest of it. And then as you go next year, you look at your overall plan, what would it mean to raise it to 2296? Once you graduate from college, 3394. It requires some intentionality, some planning, some organizing the beginning of each year, and maybe adjustments along the way as things come along. Now, the wrench that gets thrown into this whole mix is that fourth column, which is debt. And, and that dictates for a lot of people what happens with this formula. But right now, what would it mean to establish a formula, a practice that would get you into a balanced approach moving forward, that would be adjusted? And at some point, you'll probably want to do a more full-blown budget that would spell out some of the particulars in the spending area in particular. I leave these ideas with you simply because what you are practicing now will determine what it is you're going to be experiencing down the road, particularly with finances. You cannot escape decisions made now in the future. They will follow you. Most of us don't have the background information to really make wise choices in these areas. I know I didn't. When I had my first child with my wife, we went to, uh, actually it was a Mennonite Mutual Aid, now known as Everance Advisor, and I said, I need life insurance. I don't know anything about this. I got a basic policy for $25,000, and he said, by the way, do you have any plan for your finances as you move forward? And I said, I can't buy anything else. He said, I'm not asking you to buy anything. I'm suggesting you make a plan. What are some of your short-term goals? What are some of your long-term goals? When you start earning more money when your wife gets back in the workforce, that's when we were on one income, you're going to be earning more money. Know now how you want to apply that for your longer term plan.
So we began planning after our first child in a very intentional way, saving for college for our kids. Started saving for them in elementary school. And we started putting additional money aside for retirement because I know Social Security and other savings wasn't going to be enough in our 30s. You're, you're in a position here where you can make better choices than I did earlier on by establishing some practices. Getting good people around you that you trust, that you can ask questions about the financial issues of life. If your parents are those kind of folks, great. If you need to go somewhere else because your parents might be struggling, find somebody that can be an advisor in this particular aspect of life. Thanks for your attention. I'm going to be around if you want to follow up on any of these things. Have a great day. Thank you. Beryl will also be visiting two classes tomorrow, the econ class in the morning and the personal finance class in the afternoon. And please feel free to come up and ask him questions now if you have some. Thanks. And you're dismissed. <laughs>